All right, yeah. What an incredible season Abide was. And if you're new to our church this year and the whole idea of fasting and praying and doing something like this is new to you, um, I want you to know first we do this every year as a way to kick off the season of, um, you know, New Year's always, I mean, it's not like there's anything magical about a date change. You probably already realized that, right? But a new year gives you an opportunity to just prioritize a focus for that year. And so we do this strategically at the beginning of every year to remind us that we've got to do the one thing, which is abide in Jesus that enables us to do all things because he is our vine. He is our source. So thank you for participating in that. And I want to encourage you to continue that. Not that you have to fast every day like that, but I pray that it helps you, it helps you to change maybe your perspective on that. One of the guys said in there, you know, I wouldn't have done fasting if Pastor Jason hadn't encouraged us to do that. And, and I get it. I mean, look at me. It's not like I just naturally like fasting either, but it is a command from Jesus or an expectation, I should say. And it has such benefits. It's amazing to me that the scientific community has caught on to that in the last few years. It's almost like God designed our bodies and he knows how they work. And so when he tells us to do something like fasting, there is benefits, not just spiritually, but also physically. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you fast one day a week. Maybe you fast from a meal. Maybe you, you know, intermittent fasting is very popular now. Um, so maybe you do something like that, but don't just do it for the uh, physical benefits, although those are good, but do them, uh, do it primarily because you want to feast on Jesus and his word. So now we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into our message. All right, pray with me. Father, we thank you for the time that we had to set aside some specific days, God, and it's 21 days, not because there's anything magical about that. We just see Daniel doing that um, as a way when he was really putting to the test if following you would be more fruitful than the way of the world, and it worked. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us of that, that fruitfulness comes from when, from abiding in you, connecting in you, we will actually see more results if we do life your way than the world's way. Because again, you created the world. You created us. And so God, I thank you for this time and this life of our church. But you would, I ask you as well that you would continue that throughout this year. Help us to abide in you. And as we go into your word now, God, I pray that this text in Ephesians that we're going to see, God, um, would, uh, it's a great one coming out of this season of Abide to really kind of emphasize what we learned and then now put into practice. So I pray that you would help us to do that. As always, God, I pray your spirit would help me to communicate this in a way that first and foremost honors you because this is your word. It's not my opinion, God, this is you. And then God, I pray that you would help all of us to receive it and then live in light of it. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four. Again, if you're new to our church in 2024, you may not know, but we've been teaching through the letter to the Ephesians. In fact, we finished out last year doing the first part of the letter from Ephesians one to three, but maybe you weren't here for that. Sorry, right. you can go back and watch those messages, catch up. But I, I kind of gave a overview at the beginning, but I'm going to do it again, one, because this is a new year, but two, we're into the second section of the book now, which is chapters four through six. 
And so this letter that Paul wrote is really divided up into two parts, kind of two main sections, chapters one through three, and then chapters four through six. And I told you that the first three chapters are what is called theologically the indicatives. And, and the reason what we say that or what we mean by that is all the verbs in chapters one through three are indicatives, meaning they're describing actions that God did. Because there's kind of two main verb forms. I mean, there's more than that in Greek, but kind of two main verb forms that we talk about a lot in Christianity is indicatives and imperatives. Imperatives are the commands. Those are the verb form when God is commanding us to do something. In chapters four through six, most of those verbs are going to be the imperatives because they're gonna be the commands that God gives us. But here's what you need to know. The imperatives follow the indicatives. The imperatives follow the indicatives. And what I mean by that is the commands for us to do something follow first what God did. They follow what God did. They follow the indicatives. And this is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion on the, world, on the planet, throughout human history, honestly, because every other religion reverses those two and says, you need to do this, and if you do this, then you'll get this, or God will do this. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. God did this, and now that enables you to do this. And so it's important to start with what God did first. So again, you can go back and watch those messages, but just a simple recap of chapters one, two, and three is God saved us by grace, through faith, in Christ. It's by grace we've been saved. And again, we had all kinds of conversations about that. And there's all different kinds of viewpoints about that. Which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Grace or faith. But my contention is grace comes first. We are saved by grace, which means God did something for us. That's how we're saved. And now God doing something for us by grace empowers us to do something with God. And that's so important because so many of us, myself included, and again, I've said this many times, I didn't grow up in church. I got saved as a teenager. I don't feel, well, I don't, I know. I know I didn't adequately understand that my relationship with God is powered by God. It's powered by God's grace. Let me say it like this. God never asks you to do anything that he won't empower you to do. So what begins to happen in our lives, so many of us are trying to obey God without God. So many of us are trying to, as you're gonna see in chapter four, the very first verse of chapter four, you're gonna get kind of the, honestly, you're gonna get the main point of Ephesians. Really the purpose statement, if you will, of why Paul wrote the letter, he's gonna tell us, in chapter four, verse one. But if we don't understand chapters one through three, we'll never be able to do it. In fact, let's just jump in because I can tell you all day about it, but let's just talk, let's just get into it, all right? Ephesians four, verse one, look at what Paul says. I, therefore, I've told you this many times, anytime you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what is it? You guys are so smart, I'm glad you listen, all right? But I say that all the time because you'll forget. Notice this starts with a therefore. 
therefore. Well, if something is therefore, you say, what is it therefore? What's referencing back to what he said in chapters one through three. So I can't get the rest of the verse without understanding what came before it. So now Paul has described everything that happened and that God did to save us in chapters one through three. Now he's saying, in light of that, therefore, since, look at what he says. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So here's the main point of Ephesians. It's to walk in a manner worthy. That's something we do. That's something we're called to do, which is why he says, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now you'll notice that called is a past tense reference. He's saying something has happened to you in the past that should be producing a present day effect. Something happened in the past. What was that something that happened? You were called. Now we are to live in a manner worthy of that call. So let me give you the first point and then I'll break it down for us. The calling on our lives in the past, watch this, is calling us to live worthy in the present. Now, I know we live in a day and age where we don't call people as much as we used to, which I gotta be honest with you, from a technology perspective, it doesn't make any sense to me that like talking on the phone preceded texting. Because which one is more amazing? Like I can text letters back and forth or I can text or I can get my voice over something. And now even video. Like, it's amazing to me that we now have a generation of people that would much rather text than call. Because calling is far more amazing, like from a technology standpoint, you can actually get my voice, not like a computerized text, um, no, my voice over a phone line. And we don't even use phone lines. Remember phone lines? Remember, I mean, <laughs> those wires? I'll never forget one time in my house, we, you know, we had like one central phone in our kitchen area, kind of kitchen dining room area. And we had like that 30 foot long extension cord like on the phones, you know what I mean? If you're under 25, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, and it would get all wrapped up around itself. And then I remember we moved from that to a wireless phone. It was that big old brick thing with the silver antenna that came out. I mean, I could walk, I mean, I could walk outside. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. My voice is transmitting over, I don't know, <laughs> right? Frequencies and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of calling, what is calling? It's somebody's voice coming to me, telling me something. And I think in church world, we've actually done a disservice in the point of, and again, particularly over the last probably 30, 40 years, where we've kind of differentiated or separated that some people are called and some are not. Because when we think of calling in a church context, we typically think of what we do. 
Like I'm a pastor, right? And, and the older someone is, they don't call me pastor, they call me preacher. Hey, preacher, which I just love. But I think everybody in here would say, well, yeah, Jason, you're called. You're a pastor. You're a preacher. But I didn't grow up in church, and so I didn't know the lingo. So when people used to ask me when I was growing up, hey, when were you called to be a pastor? I didn't know what they meant. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like a phone rang and God called me and said, Jason, you're gonna be a preacher. I never had that, never. Never had that moment. But what did happen is when I got saved at 13, here was my thought. He gave his life for mine. My life now belongs to him. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm gonna do it. So I used to tell people, when I got saved, I got called all at the same time. Because I didn't know that other people later on in life were like doing something else. They were like a plumber. And then one day they were like, I'm tired of working on this stuff. Tired of working on this crap. I'm gonna go be a pastor and work on other crap. <laughs> right? Like I never had that moment. And I think a lot of us keep waiting for that moment. But here's what I want you to see in this text. There is not some of you that are called and some of you that are not. You're all called. This is a plural calling. And Paul is saying, if you're in Christ, you're called. You have a calling on your life. And here's what it is. It's less about what you are to do and more about who you are to become. See, I don't believe, and, and we'll actually get into this more next week because it's where Paul goes next in verse seven. I don't believe that some people are called and some people are not. And I think what happened in church world is we confuse gifts with fruit. We talk about giftings. And Paul unpacks this in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 primarily when he talks about spiritual gifts. Now, not everybody gets the same spiritual gift, which is why it's weird to me in some Christian circles, people try to act like if you're not mature that you don't have this gift, primarily like speaking in tongues or prophecy. Because somehow we thought that a measure of maturity is whether or not I got this gift or whether you got that gift when Paul clearly says, not everybody gets the same gift. But what we missed was, not everybody gets the same gifts, but everybody should have the same fruit. According to Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit. So when we're talking about calling, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about how we live our life. And what Paul is saying here is that calling is the same for all of us. Because before you were called to do something for Jesus, that's gifting, you were called to be like Jesus. That's fruit. You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. And my calling as a pastor is no different than your calling as a plumber or a mother or a father, or a teacher, or a business owner, doesn't matter. You have the same calling, and that calling 
is to live a life worthy. Live a life worthy of the one who called you. Back, let me just as a reference, look at this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. You don't have to turn there, but I have it on the screen. You might just want to write it down. Different disciple here. He says, whoever says, I know him, talking about Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. This is one like, John, tell us how you really feel. And the truth is not in him. Whatever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now listen to this. By this, we may know that we are in him. Is this how we know? I love this. It's almost like it, there's a God and it connects to what we just talked about in the last series. Whoever says he abides, whoever says he abides in him, watch this, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever, no, not whoever says he's a preacher, not whoever says he's a prophet, not whoever says he speaks in tongues. Those are gifts. No, no, no. Whoever says he abides in him. See, that's everybody. You could say it like this. Whoever says he's a Christian, whoever says she loves Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this is what I find so amazing, which is why we start every year with abide. If I abide with Jesus, remember abide remains. So let's say Jesus is literally like taking a walk. If Jesus is walking and I remain with him, Jesus is like, I'm going to Galilee. All right, I'm going to Galilee. I'm going to Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to Jerusalem. Guess what's gonna happen eventually? If I remain with him, if I walk with him, watch this, it's only a matter of time before I start walking like him. Did you catch what I just said there? I didn't hear no amens or nothing. Not that I need to, I just wanna make sure that you are. Come on, Jasper, all right, come on, help your brother out here. If you keep walking with him, it's only a matter of time before you start walking like him. There they were. All right, just making sure, just making sure we're alive. You see what I'm saying? And that's your calling. Your calling is to walk like him. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy. Here's what I find so amazing too. This word, a manner worthy, in Greek is one word. And it's the Greek word axios. Which interestingly enough, there's actually a, news organization now called Axios. And if you just do a quick search, you'll see that their name comes from this word. It is this word, Axios. It means worthy. But what's very interesting to me is this idea of Axios, meaning worthy, is also the same root for other words we use in English, probably more readily use. Words like axis, not the deer, all right? But like in math, you have an X and Y, what? Axis, you have straight lines. And everything is in reference to those axes. Another word, and this is the one reason why I love the Bible, because it's written so that even rednecks can understand it, all right? Is the word axel. Axel. A-X-L-E. Now, anybody that's driven a car should have a basic understanding of an axle, right? 
You're like, bro, I don't know. It's just like a thing that's there and there's wheels attached to it. But what is the point of an axle? The point of an axle is to hold the wheels together, right? Distributes power, gives you a mechanical advantage. But think about it. Where does the axle go in retrospect to the wheel? Does it go on the edges? No, where does it go? It goes in the center. Why does it go in the center? Because physics says if it's in the center, guess what can happen? That wheel can rotate evenly around the axle. If you put it on the edge, what's gonna happen? How's that wheel gonna rotate? You're gonna drive down the road like this, right? You'd be like, that gummit, you know? It don't work so well when the axle's not in the center. Because the center is the point or the axis that determines what everything else rotates around. Think about our solar system. You got the sun in the center and you got our earth that is on an axis. And it spins like this around that axis and then it spins like this around the sun. It has fixed points around which it spins. And it just so happens that when it spins like this around this, it's just enough so that we don't freeze or burn up. Oh, come on, somebody. It's like somebody made it that way. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying to you. If Jesus is your axis and you put him at the center, your life will rotate the way that it's supposed to. That's what it means to live worthy. To live worthy is to walk like Jesus. Why did Jesus walk the way that he did? Is it because he's an old fuddy-duddy stuck in the mud? Is it because God is this old codger upstairs that's just out to ruin your fun? No. It's because God made you. And here's what I'm saying. When you put Jesus at the center, everything else rotates around the perspective of his word. So you do relationships the way Jesus' word says. You do life, you do marriage, you do money. You do everything in relation to Jesus as your axis, as your axle. That's what it means to live in a manner worthy. So the point, the whole reason why Paul writes this letter is to show you in chapters one through three what Jesus did to get to the center. How Jesus sacrificed his life to become your center so that he could be placed back at the center. That's by grace, through faith in Christ. But the question is, are you gonna abide in him as the center? Are you gonna place Jesus as the axle through which your entire life rotates around? Are you gonna, watch this, are you gonna keep him on the edges of your life? Are you gonna put him on the peripheral? 
you know, attend church 1.4 times like the rest of America a month. Go to group if you ain't got nothing else to do. Or, you know, if there's not kids sports or something. You're gonna keep them out here on the peripheral? You know, reach out to them when you got a crisis, when everything's good, you're like, deuces. I just hit my tooth, that kind of hurt. <laughs> See, here's what I'm, so many of us are riding through life like this. And we keep wondering what's up. Now, I'm not saying if you put Jesus at the center, everything's gonna be perfect. But if you put Jesus at the center, you ain't gonna waste nothing. Because you're walking with him and you're walking like him. And when you walk like him, because you have this calling. See, when you have a calling, it makes it easier to say yes or no to other callings. Think about it. You have no shortings of people calling you. You're like, I know, man, my, blo my phone's blowing up all the time. I mean, yeah, but think deeper. The world's gonna call you to this. This is what success looks like. Your boy's gonna call you to this. Come on, man. Why do you keep going home with your wife every night? We got stuff to do. Your industry may call you to this is how you make money, but it's kind of, you know, like puts Jesus on the periphery a little bit. It's a little shady. You're gonna have no shortage of people calling you. I'll never forget back when we did use phones, my friends would call me, and I've said this before, but there were people I didn't really wanna hang out with because at that point in time, Jesus had my life. And so I can't tell you how many times somebody would call me, ask me to do something. I'd put my phone over the hand. We didn't have mute back then, Right. And I said, mama, I'm about to ask you something, but when I ask you, just say no real loud. And so I would get back on the phone. Hey, mom, can I go over to so-and-so's house? No, sorry, dog, mama said no. Why? Because I knew being at their house wasn't a part of my calling. I knew doing what they were doing wasn't a part of my calling. Now, does that make me better than them? No, I just don't want to waste my calling. I don't want to waste my life. Because here I am now at 45 years old, not re regretting one bit that I'm not the cool kid from high school anymore. Because I got 45-year-old friends still trying to be cool at high school, and that's just late. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not, you know, my high school football team has been doing pretty well the last few years in football. In fact, we were the chief rival of Patrick Mahomes High School. And forever, I didn't like him. Because we beat him. He went to White House. I went to Chapel Hill. We always beat up on White House. Couldn't stand him. But then I was like, well, you know, it is kind of nice telling people he's from my hometown. So I got over that, right? So now I tell people, I, I grew up, Patrick Mahomes grew up, right? <laughs> and we used to beat his high school all the time. Because he wasn't there, right? But And I'm not saying high, I mean, high school was fun. I played ball. I, I mean, it was fun. But my calling didn't peak at 18. I grew up. And now my calling is bigger than the locale of Chapel Hill High School in Tyler, Texas. See, God is a global God. And he's calling you to something bigger. He's calling you to something higher. He's calling you to something greater. 
And the question is, do you let that calling determine how you walk? Not just in a gifting perspective, again, we'll get into that next week, but a holiness perspective, a fruit perspective, how you talk, how you spend your money, what you do with your time. Now, let's keep going. Look at verse two and three. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, one of the primary points of writing this letter was Paul was writing to a group of people in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. It's on the west coast of Turkey. A church made up of primarily Gentiles, but Jewish people as well. Because the big fight in the first century was how Jewish did you have to be in order to be Christian? We've had those conversations. And so in church, they were struggling to get along with each other, which I know never happens today. We, we have so matured past that. <laughs> like, what church are you talking about? Well, hopefully this one. I don't pastor all the other ones, but in this one, we let the gospel define things. In this one, we take verses like this seriously, where Paul says, you should be eager to maintain unity. Watch this. If we're all called by God, by the same God, to live in the same way, like Jesus, doesn't it stand to reason that if you are called by Jesus and you're walking with Jesus and I'm called by Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus, that our walks would look the same? We'd look the same? And so Paul is giving some qualifiers, or better yet, some adjectives to describe what does that walk look like? Well, he tells you, you're humble. With all humility, you're humble. Which is interesting because before Jesus came up on the scene, and you can go read this in ancient literature, and I'm not even talking about the Bible, I'm talking about literature written outside the Bible from all the cultures from which Christianity affected. You just go read other authors, and it's not until Jesus shows up on the scene that humility becomes a virtue. Because to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the Persians, to the Babylonians, all the world powers before Jesus, none of them talked about humility as though it was a strength. They thought it was a weakness because a leader should never show humility. A leader should never have a servant-heartedness towards those that they serve. It should be the other way around. Jesus flips the script. And there's a whole industry now, praise God, about servant leadership. Well, that's how Jesus said to lead. So you walk with Jesus, you're gonna be like Jesus, and being like Jesus means you're gonna put the other before yourself. That's humility. I love this one, gentleness. And I love, one, how these are also in the fruit of the Spirit, which is what tells you this, the kind of calling he's talking about, fruit, not gifts. But I also love that he puts humility and gentleness together. You wanna know the primary ways to determine whether or not you're humble? Are you gentle? Are you gentle? Now, I don't mean gentle just in the sense of like 
something that says fragile, handle with care. No, I mean, are you gentle with people in a way that you would want them to treat you if they were mad at you? Jesus doesn't get credit for it. It used to be in kindergarten classrooms all over the world. I don't know if it still is, but he never got credit for it. But we called it the golden what? Rule. You heard of it? Treat others the way you want to be. Came from Jesus. See, one of the primary ways that you can know if someone's humble is are they gentle with people, particularly as other people are struggling with sin, or are they Pharisees? See, the problem with most of our churches is we're not producing disciples of Jesus, we're producing Pharisees. And there are some people, and again, I've been in church for a while now, there are some people who like certain pastors that, you know, they may be famous, they write books, and I can almost tell you with certainty how that person is going to respond to other people just because they read that dude's books all the time. Because reading that dude's books made him really smart, but really rude. See, following Jesus isn't about knowing stuff. It's about how you handle stuff, how you handle people. So your humility is born out and how you are patient, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. Bearing with means to literally bear the load with somebody. See, I want our church to always be this place that's not producing Pharisees that are quick to judge, but it's producing disciples that are quick to love. Because that's what Jesus did. But notice the words he uses here. He says, eager to maintain unity. Notice he didn't say create unity or bring, he said maintain it. Well, if I'm maintaining something, what does that mean? It means it's already there, right? How is unity already there? Because of Jesus. See, in Jesus, he made us one with God and one with each other. So if I'm in Jesus, you're in Jesus, you're at peace with God, we should be at peace with each other. Well, how does that happen? It only happens because Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can't create unity, but watch this. We can kill it. In fact, if you're taking notes, second point. We can't create unity, but we can keep it or kill it. We can keep or kill unity. I can't create it, you can't create it. And this is why I'm saying this, because again, this is a letter written to not just a church, but all of the churches. We, in this church, are called to walk like Jesus, and if we walk like Jesus, we're gonna do all that we can to keep unity with other people that are walking with Jesus and not kill it. And I'm gonna tell you, man, over my 14 years of pastoring here, we've had some unity killers. People that assume the worst about others' intentions 
And then they just start accusing them. And they always do it in the form of prayer requests in small groups. We don't do that around here, y'all. Or the worst is, you know, somebody told me this. Oh, time out. If you don't have the guts to say their name or they don't have the guts to say their name to me in person, I'm not gonna listen to what you have to say. So this is what I tell our staff all the time. Staff members don't talk to staff members about staff members. Team members don't talk to team members about team members. Some of you are like, Diggum, we did that this morning. <laughs> we are killing unity. And I also tell people in our church that, well, some people came into, oh, I won't listen to that. I will tell people, and this is what I want you to tell people. I can't not go tell this person that you just told me this without telling them who said it. I'm not gonna keep your secrets because keeping your secrets is gonna kill unity. And I care more about this family than I do about hurting your feelings. You see what I'm saying? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Sometimes when I say this stuff from stage, people are like, what's going on? That he felt the need to say that. <laughs> Nothing. It's just in the text, okay? I'm just saying in this family, our family, we assume the best about one another. We don't assume the worst and accuse them. We assume the best and we go ask them, hey, when you said that the other day, it made me feel some kind of way. And so I just want to ask you, are you okay? Or are y'all okay? Or, you know what I'm saying? Because we don't want to kill unity. You want to know why? Because our calling is too great. Our calling to love Jesus and grow people is too great. And we ain't got time for unity killing. We demon killing. Right? We're sin killing. And I know that's a little funny, but I mean that. Like in this house, as, as Josh, as for me in this house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to walk in the way of Jesus. And we are going to keep and maintain the unity that Jesus paid his life for. And that's my brother and sister in Christ. And yeah, they may be annoying me right now, but that doesn't give me license to talk about them. I'm called to gently, patiently bear with them. Last couple verses, four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, here it is again, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, don't miss this. And we shouldn't always just like read into numerology in the Bible. Some people overdo that. But I want you to see this. I'm gonna count them. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. How many is that? Seven. Seven. And seven in the Bible is the number of completeness. God created the world, right? Seven days. Number of completeness. So here's what Paul is saying. 
In Christ, we have been made one. We have been made one with God. And now there's one body that's called the church. Now, I know we have all different kinds of churches. But if someone is an Orthodox church, they're our, church, they're our family. This is why Revolution Church, we love other churches. Other churches aren't our competition. This is why we plant churches. This is why when people come to our church from other churches, we're quick to say, hey, don't badmouth that church. That's our brothers and sisters. And we're, we're gonna make sure that we understand God doesn't love Revolution Church more than he loves First Baptist or whatever other church. We're all his body. And we have different churches because we have different kinds of people. Some people like this, some people like that. That's fine. I'm down for more churches. This is why we church plant. This is why we have multiple campuses because we're about what God is about. We are about extending his, just what he told us in Matthew 28, right? So it's one body, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one baptism. I wish somebody would have told me that. I got baptized three times because I didn't understand it, y'all. Right? Because baptism doesn't save me. Baptism is just an outward symbol of an inward reality. I have died to Christ and I live in him. So there's a oneness to our faith. But listen to me. Is there a oneness to your life? And by oneness, what I mean is there's not two-ness. You're like, is that a word? It is now. There's unity, there's not division. And what is the root of division? Di is two, and vision is the way things should be. So you have division when there's two, but you have unity when there's one. See, the biggest problem in churches is the same thing when it comes to the biggest problem in our lives. You're trying to live out two visions at the same time. You're trying to worship God and money, as Jesus said. You can't do that. You're trying to be faithful to Jesus and live in the world. That's two. You're trying to be faithful with this woman, but you're flirting over here on the side. That's two. And this is where people, well, yeah, but people in the Bible had more than one wives. Yeah, and how did they all go? <laughs> the Old Testament is not an endorsement, baby. It's a warning. <laughs> Jesus didn't say four become one flesh. He said, two, become what? One. You want another problem in your marriage? You're in one in spirit, but you're two in practice. You're not one. See, we are called to a oneness. Last point. Our calling is oneness in worship and our walk. In worship and our walk. Now, worship is way more than singing, yes. 
According to Romans 12, it's our entire life. But I say it like this, not to reinforce that dichotomy, but to help you understand there is no dichotomy. That worshiping Jesus means walking like Jesus. And if I'm walking like Jesus, I'm worshiping Jesus. That's what John said. If I say I love God, but I don't walk in the way he walked, I'm a liar. Now don't think perfection, but think practice. Think daily. That's the problem with the Christian life, right? The problem with the Christian life is it's so daily. One of my mentors said that. Daniel Henderson wrote all kinds of great books on spiritual transformation. And, and when he said it, I was like, you're exactly right. My worship yesterday is not enough for today. My walking for Jesus yesterday is not enough for today. It's so daily. You mean Jesus, I gotta get up again and love her? Now instantly, y'all thought about marriage. That ain't what I meant. Or is it? I don't know. Man, I gotta get up today and serve rough kids again. It's raining, God. Can I just watch online? I gotta get up today and go set up cones. Well, if you think of got to, you've already failed. You gotta think of get to. Because remember, he didn't call you because you were awesome. He called you because you were dead. And he made you alive. Guess what? Dead people don't get to experience oneness or worship or walking with Jesus. Alive people do. So I can frame it from the perspective of I have to, or I can frame it from the perspective I get to because once I was dead, now I'm alive. Once I was separated, now I'm not. Once I wasn't with Jesus, now I'm with Jesus. And yes, walking with Jesus is hard. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. But here's the thing. I'm walking with Jesus, not just for Jesus, which means Jesus is with me, helping me walk by the power of his spirit. So understand you are called, but you are called because he first called you. And now he's gonna empower you to live a life worthy of that calling. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us when we were dead and our trespasses and sins, you called our name, you made us alive, and you brought us out of death. And so God, I pray that we would understand you're not asking us to obey you so that you will love us. You're asking us to obey you because you have loved us. You called us in the past. And now you're just simply calling us to live lives in alignment with that calling. To have Jesus as the center, as the axle, as the thing, the person by whom 
everything else and everyone else rotates around. So God, help us. And I know there are people here today, God, that don't have Jesus as their center. And today he wants to call them from death to life. So I pray right now, God, you'd open their eyes. No one looking around or talking here as we close. All locations, if you've never trusted in Jesus, but today he's calling you. The old hymn says, oh sinner, come home. So if that's you and you wanna trust Jesus, right there where you are, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. This is ultimately between you and God. You're just confessing and trusting. So if that's you, you can pray with me and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. You sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I'm trusting Jesus alone and help me to live a life worthy of him. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you're in one of our physical locations and you just prayed that with me, we just simply lift your hand up so we can see it. Don't be ashamed, man. Welcome to the family. Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who have trusted in Jesus, again, all of us make mistakes. I make mistakes. The Christian life is daily. But just because I didn't obey, it doesn't mean that I should move my axis or have different standards. It just means I should repent, but ask Jesus to help me live a life worthy of the calling that I have to walk like Jesus. So I don't know what areas of your life Jesus isn't the center, but I just encourage you. Putting him at the center is not just something you can do in a worship gathering on a weekend. It's something you have to do every day. Put him at the center every day. Ask him to create oneness in your life, no division. Father, I pray that you would help us. Our desire is integrity, to be integrated, to be one. One with you, one with each other. To be the kind of people that walk like you walk, who bear with one another, who keep and maintain unity with you and with others in your church. So God, we pray for that oneness, especially as we're coming out of abide. God, help us to abide in you so that we can walk like you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.